When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome to Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong. I'm Rob Tanner. Joining me today is James the Sharp End Sharp for the last time. The last time on Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong. Uh, we'll be have guests back. Well, we'll probably call you back. You know, if we have any staffing issues, James, <laughs> we'll be on the phone to get you back in before you, uh, you have to fly back from London yeah. just to do pay us a visit. Um, but unfortunately, the last game that you yes. covered for uh, the Leicester Mercury was a defeat for your beloved Leicester City. Um, yeah. Controversial one in many respects. We'll get to the uh, sending off of Wes Morgan uh, in a second, but uh, what was your assessment of the game? Yeah, I mean, Claude, well, after the game, made like a little joke and said, I'm sorry, we could, you couldn't, your last game couldn't be a, couldn't be a victory because we know you're a fan, but um, I'm sorry about that. But yeah, yeah, it was one of those games where it, the game turned on two moments, didn't it? I mean... I felt that there was only going to be one winner when there was 11 v 11 that start of that second half Leicester were back in the game Leicester were well on top they were just starting to find gaps in the uh, Everton defence they were picking holes and I felt there was only going to be one winner the crowd were really up for it then bang Wes Morgan gets sent off and then moments later Sigurdsson scores a goal worthy of winning any game from 25 yards out and on the, the game turned. Well, let's go through it chronologically. Yeah. yeah. Another poor start from Leicester City. Yeah. Uh, they've conceded, what is it, four times now in the opening 10 minutes of their eight Premier League games so far this season. Uh, this was another one. It, it was a poor goal to give away, wasn't it? Bernard's done wonderfully well, but it was terrible defending on the right hand side. Amate and Pereira diving in like. It was like child, uh, schoolboy stuff, really. Then he clipped the, the ball over and it looked like Ben Chilwell was going to defend it. Then Schmeichel just gets a touch to take it away and it falls so invitingly for Richarlison. It was a terrible start. Yeah, going through all those moments, all of them went wrong. Amati dived in, got done. Pereira dived in, got done. The, that cross is basically about to land on Chilwell's head. If no one else moves, Chilwell is heading that clear, but Schmeichel comes out, tries to get a palm on it, but almost flicks it with his fingertips over Maguire and Chilwell's head. And he's already now out of his goal. And so Richardson has just got a, an open goal to tap it into. And yeah, it's another one, isn't it? It's another bad start and another way of leaving Leicester with the mountain to climb. Well, Claude said afterwards that, you know, this is something we've got to address now. And he said they are trying on training ground to put some sort of uh, systems in place where they start the game much more uh, better with more intensity. Um, and, and he's on about winning the duels and the battles again but he says that in those first 10-15 minutes they're not earning the right to play their football they want to play their football from the start rather than thinking right we're going to have to earn this we're going to have to earn the right to start knocking the ball around like we want to and um, they're just handing the initiative to the opposition every uh, every other game and it seems to be predominantly at home yeah it does and and that goes and that like I said, it, it stops Puel and Leicester being able to play the way they want to because they want to have a game where they as Paul said where they have possession of the ball and they can control the game then they don't have to they can be patient they don't have to force anything but when you're a goal behind after five minutes 
you then got to start forcing stuff and that is then when you start rushing things you start trying to play the pass too early you, you start getting ahead of your defender so you get caught offside it puts Le it puts Leicester and Wells' plan under more pressure than it needs to be. Well, they needed to hit back quickly after that poor start, and they've had to come from behind so many times this season. And they nearly did so straight away. Well, not well, not straight away, but a few minutes later. Jamie Vardy, they get him in finally. He looked a frustrated figure for most of the first half because he was making runs and the ball wasn't coming early enough. And then it eventually does. He's in on goal. Keane is struggling to catch up with him, He's trying to pull him back. I mean, Jamie Vardy was very honest there. He could have yeah. gone down and got the lad sent off. But he carried on, shrugged him off. But this time, no finish. Yeah, and it's a well, two things really. One, I watched it back on match today, and I think Vardy could have gone down there. And I think if he goes down and the ref gives that, then Michael Keane is sent off because he is the last man. Because I think he is getting a hold of his shirt there and on his arm. He's pulling him back. He can't get to the ball. He's pulling him by the arm. Yeah, I was surprised that Vardy didn't go down and Vardy didn't. And we'll come to it later on in terms of trying to get opposition players sent off. We'll come to that when it comes to Wes Morgan. Yeah. But I'm surprised that um, he didn't. But then also, I'm also surprised that he didn't finish it off because there are the situations where, for someone of Vardy's class and Vardy's calibre, he gobbles those up mm. regularly and he, he just scuffed it. He just scuffed it. It's like as though I'd gone through on goal and seen the goal light up and just snatched at it and scuffed it wide. That was yeah. unlike him because obviously we saw in the previous home game against Huddersfield, you know how clinical he can be in those situations with a little dink over the yeah. keeper against Huddersfield. Perhaps he, he thought that uh, Jordan Pickford had, would guess that's a, that's what he was yeah. going to try and do, and he tried to put it to the side of him, but it was uh, well wide in the end. But City did then hit back, and yeah. uh, for all the talk of possession football and uh, dominating the ball and uh, knocking it around and playing between the lines. It was a classic counter-attack Leicester City goal, wasn't it? <laughs> it Straight was, out of the 2015-16 playbook. It was, yeah. I don't know how long it would be. 15 seconds, maybe? 20 seconds from... I think it was a Marty clearing the ball off the line to then bang, bang, bang. And then a lovely little one-two between Pereira and Iheanacho to set Ricardo away and takes it, skins his man. In the same way that he'd been skinned for the first goal... Pereira then does the same to his defender and then drills it past Pickford, who would probably think he should have saved it because he got a big firm hand to it. But no, traditional um, out of the songbook. But I think that what that shows is Puel doesn't want to get rid of this counter-attack. Leicester is still brilliant at the counter-attack and if they have the chance to do it, will do it to good effect. It's the other part of it where teams aren't giving you space to counter-attack. That's when Leicester are trying to find another way and sometimes struggling to do that and sometimes not. Well, you need so many strings to your bow, don't you? Yeah. You can't just be one-dimensional in terms of how you're going to approach games and the opportunities that there to break on sides with the pace that Leicester City have got with Vardy. Ricardo is no slouch, as no. we've seen. Chilwell's rapid as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, you've got to utilise those um, those skills and it, it was a quality equaliser, uh, but it wasn't the goal of the game. We'll get to that in, yeah. in, a, in a moment as well. As you said then, momentum's all with uh, Leicester City. Vardy gets in early um, twice to start the second half. It looks like all the momentum's with the home team. I was thinking there was only going to be one outcome, uh, a victory for um, City, despite the fact that in this fixture, historically, in the Premier League, the team that scores first never loses. Um, I thought Leicester were going to break that little run, but where's Morgan? Let's yeah. get to it. And he, he, he got sent off, two yellows again. Uh, looking at the stats, he only uh, conceded three fouls in the whole game. He's yeah. been booked for two of them. The first one, no question. 
on yeah. Carlison. If the Carlison does it for pace, outmaneuvers him. It, it, the thirty-four-year-old looked like a thirty-four-year-old at yeah. that point, didn't he? And uh, you can see it in his mind. He thought, "I can't let him get into the box here. I'm just gonna have to bring him down." You take the yellow there, no question. Now the second one, just before he got the uh, yellow, Ricarlison's going down the touchline. Ball's going out of play. Ricarlison's trying to keep it in, but he's going out of play. Yeah. Clumsy challenge for Morgan. Ricarlison makes a bit of a meal of it, as, yes. he, as, as he's prone to do, but he gets a little warning. Now at that point, when Andre Mariner's saying to you, "Look, you know, I could have booked you for that, and that would have been a red card," would you have gone in for that tackle? Afterwards, I mean, admittedly, he's come around the back of Ricarlison. He's played the ball. It's an Genuine, honest attempt. Ricarlison's reaction is what you'd expect in the modern game. Unfortunately, yeah. it was full of theatrics, and uh, you know, if I didn't know whether to stand up and applaud him. When yeah, Mark Halsey didn't he said that he deserved an Oscar for that. Yeah, Mark Halsey, the former referee, said it was uh, it was harsh. But having been given a warning, where's Morgan? Was he? Uh, what was he thinking, really? Yeah. Now, I I think he's I think he's lucky not to get sent off for the second one because that was late and clumsy and. Kind of stopping a breakaway, although Richardson was probably taking the ball out of play. So I think he's lucky to get away with that one. The next one, I've watched it so many times. I think he does win the ball, and I think it is. I don't think it's worthy of the yellow card that one. But then you could say, well, he was lucky with the other one. But it can't be the totting up process because there's only three fouls. Exactly, yeah. So I, I can't see it being for persistent fouling because, as you say, he only made three fouls all game. Um, maybe you could say. He didn't need to make the tackle because he could have just shepherded him in because his back's to goal on the halfway line. Which is then, what they said on match of the day as well. Then they said, but then, he didn't but then, need Wes, to make will, that but then Wes will say, Wes's argument would be, well, I won the ball and, it, and it's not a foul. So why should I be penalised for making it? I'm on a yellow card. Why shouldn't I make tackles if I'm going to win them? So that's the question. The, the other question, which is the one that a lot of people were talking about on after the game, and something that I mentioned in my five things, was. And also, one of the journalists leaned over towards and says he needs to take Wes off because Wes is going to get sent off now. Is whether after that chat he had with the referee said to Wes, "Look, that's your last chance. That's your last warning." Should Puel have said, "Do you know what? I'm not going to risk him and, and subbed him off." That's the other question you, you can you can say, and, which in hindsight might have been a good thing. But as I, as Puel said, I asked him afterwards. He said, "Well, I can't sub every player that's on the yellow." I can't. Amati got booked. I can't sub him off. I looked at it over the weekend. Wes has picked up. I think it's seventy what seventy five yellow cards in his career. Um, and seventy one, and only three of them have been turned into in five of them. Five of them have been turned into red cards. He's been on a yellow card seventy times in his career and not been sent off on it. So why now? Why would he, this be the decision to make, time to make it? The only thing I can think of. After that conversation he had with the referee, should Puel have then taken him off? It's a good point, and I, I appreciate that you asked Paul that question as well. I spoke to Wes after the game, and I said to him about, really, after Ben having that warning, should you be making that challenge? And he said, look, I'm a competitive player. I'm also an aggressive player. You know, and If I don't stop, stop making those sort of challenges and trying to win the ball, then I'm not the same player. Um, I mean, I've, I seem to be in the minority of one that I think he was really harshly done by. I mean, the majority of Leicester fans seem to think that um, he deserved his red card second in three Premier League games, having been sent off for two yellows at Bournemouth from four fouls at yeah. Bournemouth. I, I mean, I, I do feel for Wes. I feel for him because I don't think he should have been sent off at Bournemouth. I think he was unlucky about that. 
and then there are also questions about here. So he's been sent off twice in the space of three or four Premier League games, and he could have arguments to say I shouldn't have been sent off. But what this also does is it also plays into, as I know you were getting quite wound up about it this morning, it, it plays into the anti-Morgan um, kind of rumblings that there are among some sections of fans, mainly the more outspoken social media fans. But a lot of fans are frustrated with Morgan being in the side and are taking it out on Leicester Skipper. And you don't really like Well, I, no, I... I, I... If he's if you don't want him in the side um, because of his performances this season or his performances last season, fair enough. But it's the um, extent to some of the comments, and I stress this is only on social media. I mean, nobody's sent me any direct messages, yeah. and I don't hear a lot of stuff in the in the grounds about this. So, but this, his, name, just, his name is always cheered when it's when they announce the team yeah, before. So there's, this, no boost, there's no boost to his name when his name gets read out at the start of a match. This is only stuff that people send me on on social media, and some of it is so disrespectful to a man that has served this club stoically over the years, historically as well, by lifting that Premier League trophy, playing a major part in a fantastic story. And it's the same with some of the other lads that uh, were part of that squad. Andy King you could talk about as well in, in a similar sort of vein. The way people now talk about him, some of the fans talk about them, it's so disrespectful for what they've achieved. And uh, it really is quite alarming um, to, to, to see him. You think, well, what more could these guys have, have possibly done for the club? Oh, admittedly, they've made a good living out of what they do, but you know that's not their fault. That's nothing to do with them. How much football clubs pay footballers these days? You know, if it's there, you take it, like we all would in in our industry. But uh, you know, they have done performed particularly well for this club. And okay, perhaps now the, the time's come for Wes to well, and he's out of contract at the end of the season for, to move aside for somebody else to come through. But let's do it with a little bit more respect for for what he's achieved. I feel, and uh, uh, I've, I got the impression that some people were quite glad. That he got sent off yeah, because he's now going to miss two games and I think that's just uh, such a shame I think that I agree with you on that and I think uh, social media is a very social media is an emotional place where it's very easy when you are riled up and full of emotion at a football match and we all care about the football team it's very easy just to pick pick your phone up and just send something out really emotionally and press send and it's gone and, it, and it's there it's published um, I think so I, I do feel that, in some respects, that, that that Morgan does deserve more respect than what he gets from some people in, in social media. I think other people are just concerned that that this should be the time for Morgan to step aside. And, and on that point, we have got a question here. Um, people are watching from, from someone called Jay Evans, from Jay Evans, who's saying, who says, "What do we feel? Um, do we feel that Claude needs to now take Morgan out permanently?" Well, it all depends on, on who's in form. Um, Johnny Evans, we uh, assume, is going to come in for those two games and fill that, that void uh, whilst Morgan is suspended. Uh, Johnny didn't start the season very well because of an injury. He's playing catch-up. He start, ironically started to look a bit more like the Johnny Evans that we've uh, seen over the years at Man United and West Bromwich Albion. Uh, in the last game, he played against uh, Wolves, but it was pure decision to bring Morgan in because Morgan hadn't been performing too badly this season, in my opinion. He's been he's been okay. Yeah, not got, not like, outstanding, not brilliant. You know, he is getting on a bit, uh, but I think he's been. Yeah, because I've got a comment, comment here from Michael Paul saying that a similar question. But when is when is Paul going to realise that Morgan is a liability? I don't think he's a liability because I think in general he's been okay, but I think he gets tarnished with a with, with a little bit of a brush that no matter how what he does, 
he gets hammered for it. And I don't, I don't think he's been that bad. But there is the question then of who, who steps in. And like you say, Evans hasn't started brilliantly. And he's, I mean, people talk about Wes for being not the quickest. Evans is certainly not the quickest. I would think Wes is probably quicker than Evans. And then you've also got, so you've got Benkovic, who's gone out alone on to Celtic, who's performing well for Celtic, but is a young player and Leicester felt that he wasn't going to... Oh, he's going to get more game time at Celtic than he's going to get Exactly. And then you've also got Soyinger, who is who is struggling with getting to grips with the move and learning the language and is not impressed greatly for the 23s. And I know our colleague Jordan Blackwell has been to watch a few of the games and he's definitely taking time to bed in. So can Paul really afford to throw that, throw him in? Paul said that Wes has been training better than he did last season. If he's the best choice out of them at the minute, then then you have to keep him. And let's look at the Bournemouth game because a, a lot of fans will say, "Well, he was rubbish at Bournemouth." Well, the whole back four was all over the shop at Bournemouth. Maguire didn't have a particularly good game, but they were we were playing with a back two at Bournemouth effectively because the two fullbacks were. I mean, Ricardo who was playing right back, hasn't played right back since. Um, because he was just vacating his position all the time. He doesn't know how to play that position yet. Danny Amati's come in and have been a bit more solid in there. And uh, Claude has said to us on two occasions now, that's it now. He's not a midfielder. He's not a centre-back unless there's an emergency. He's a right-back. He thinks Danny Amati will make a very good right-back. But it's early doors for him and he's still learning the position. And when you look at the, that um, booking against Ricardoson, it's because when Morgan gets dragged out into wide positions, he doesn't want to be in those positions. He wants to be centre and he needs cover around him. He needs his full-back around him. And if he gets uh, pulled outside and there's no cover, he's going to get exposed for pace. And that's what happened with Ricardoson for the first booking. The second one, I just think he was, um, in hindsight, he'll probably regret making that decision. But you get sent off for nothing these days. I mean, Neil Warnock uh, was... I mean, Neil Warnock's always making a point or two, isn't he? And uh, he certainly had his say about his lad getting sent off at the weekend. What was he say? His quote was, well, he wasn't endangering the life of his opponent, so I don't know why it's a red card. <laughs> I mean, I think we've moved on from those days where challenges that warrant red cards are going to, you know, literally threaten the life of a player. But, um, you know, if you look at some of the, uh, the, the sendings off now, and it, I just think they're spoiling the game. We want to see a good contest. And that was the shame about Saturday because... Leicester versus Everton was a great barometer of where Leicester City are at the start of this season. Two sides um, who've spent big on their squads. Both aspira- aspirations are going for the top six. And I thought this, for, this is the one game. We've seen Leicester put aside Huddersfield and Newcastle, two poor teams. We've seen them against Liverpool, a great side. Um, this was a barometer for me. And um, we, d- we will never know, I guess. Do you, do you feel then, because of that, because of that sending off and that decision, do you feel that that barometer is no longer a barometer because you can't judge it well, we can judge it on the first hour. We can judge it up until uh, Wes Morgan is sent off. I thought it was quite level because I thought Everton had the best of the, fir- of the first Absolutely, half. Yeah. Of the f- had, Everton had the best, say, first 35 minutes. And I think back end of the first half and start the second half, Leicester on top. So it was quite well matched until the yeah, red card. Absolutely, it was. And even after the, the, the red card, we'll talk about Sigurdsson's winner in the second, which was a worldie, worthy of uh, winning any uh, game. But even then, with 10 men, City had chances to get an equaliser. And Danny Amati missed a free header in the, the last few minutes. And we'll talk about the, these, these moments in games, these key moments. You know, you could talk about um, the, the, the poor defending for the first goal, Vardy missing that opportunity. Uh, then uh, Morgan getting sent off, uh, then Sigurdsson picking one out, and then Danny Amati's free header at the end. Th- none of those moments really went for City, so those are the fine lines in games when between two evenly matched sides. Yeah, and also those fine margins to sound up 
probably a bit too much like Nigel Pearson there, you always talk about fine margins. But those small moments that can go either way, they often, they don't also change games, but they also shift perspectives from of how fans see the game because that strike from Sigurdsson could is what an half a yard away from clipping the post and going wide. Chilwell's had a similar effort that just whistled past the post. Vardy's one-on-one. Amati's header. I mean, they're all if-buts and maybes, but these small moments in games shift perception. So people are going from saying, if that Amati header had gone in, Leicester going, oh, strong performance, decent performance, did well there to get a point from a man down. That goes wide and it suddenly becomes a disastrous, disastrous performance where Leicester have been found out again showing all their weaknesses all over again and it's back to the drawing board. I, I know football is emotional sport, but I don't think I, I don't think the difference between Leicester and Everton was, was as, as grand as people now think it is because they've lost that game. Oh Yes, exactly. I mean, that, those, those margins. If Vardy had uh, dinked it over Pickford for that goal and Ricardo put some 2-1 ahead, we're talking about an equaliser that is a worldie mm. from Sigurdsson. But let's talk about Sigurdsson's goal because... I think even the most die-hard of the City fans, obviously you, you know your heart sinks when that one nestles in the back of the net, but in hindsight, when you look back on it in the cold light of day, you think, well, what a strike that yeah. was. From, I mean, the, the, the little Cruyff turn in midfield to uh, to shake off Madison. I mean, that was quite quite fitting, wasn't it, really? Because the two number 10s, the, yeah, the, 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 number, the number 10 that Leicester wanted to sign and didn't, and then the new up-and-coming one, that moment, it's it's Madison that Sigurdsson just turns away from, leaves literally on his backside, with Madison looking up, watching a player who Madison will probably want to develop into, sticking the ball in the top bin to win a game. It's almost like Sigurdsson went, "Come on, I'll show you how it's done." Really. <laughs> well, forty million pounds is what City offered for Sigurdsson when he left Swansea. He chose to go to Everton instead, and last season it might have looked like uh, City have escaped with a you know with a bit of a, uh, a lucky escape there. Um, with a few quid in their back pocket as well they got Madison in another number 10 a young 10 that's going to progress and improve and uh, I'm sure he's going to be a star player for City yeah. for, year, for years to come and they got him at a fraction of the cost but at that moment he looked like a £40 million player didn't he? He did yeah and he he, he showed why he is why he basically single-handedly kept Swansea up when he was there and also why Leicester wanted him because he is he is that good and but I don't see any reason why, from what we've seen early doors, if Madison keeps progressing at the, at the pace, at the way that he has done and taken to the Premier League like he has done, I can't see any reason why Madison's not got that on his locker and can't become the kind of player that Sigurdsson's become. Well, eight games in now. We've got an international break. It's a yeah. perfect opportunity just to um, assess where Leicester City are after eight games of the season. Four wins, four defeats, two at home, two away. Yeah. Bit of a mixed bag, isn't it? Yeah, it's, they don't do anything by halves. There's certainly no draws in there. It's, no. it's all or nothing with this Leicester City team. Yeah, it is. And I think that's probably why there is such a um, there's such a bit, huge gap between the, the positive and the negative reactions that you yeah. get after matches because Leicester's perform Well, maybe not even performances, because I think they've performed pretty steadily throughout the season. It's just results have been... Oh, they just, they're just performed... Dreadfully defensively at ball, yeah. In attacking sense, they did cry quite a few. Yeah, exactly. And also like a, and Liverpool, and Liverpool and Man U, they both they both played quite well, but got found out by little bits of experience here or there or whatever. But the, the results have been so polarized. I think that's probably why the 
um, emotions of Leicester fans are so mm. polarised too. I think. I think it's been all right. There are there are certainly weight places where Leicester can can improve. Certainly defensively, and there are so many little mistakes and also quite big mistakes that Leicester need to cut out to make this better. And Clubwell needs to take responsibility for that. He needs to he needs to sort that out, as do the players as well. But I I feel generally there's more to be positive about than there is negative, I think. I think there's areas that need improving. I think that right-back spot, I mean, if Danny Amate is going to be the right-back, he's got to play there week in, week out now yeah. and learn and improve. Um, because at times he looks good, and other times when he's diving in on Bernard, he, he, he doesn't look good. Um, I think midfield looks settled. I'd like it. I'd like to see Nididi get him box-to-box a bit more now. He should have more licence with Mendy alongside him to become that um, dominant midfield player that we think he could be. That Patrick Vieira, I keep going comparing this you, Patrick, that one, Patrick one Vieira. Day, one day you'll get Claude Bell to say he's the new Patrick Vieira. Vieira. One day. Uh, and I think he needs to sort out as well the roles in that front three. They've, they looked effective in previous games, not so much against Everton. Um, we had um, Inacho didn't have his best game. He's looked like he was trying to play yeah, right up front. We've with, got a question actually about Inacho. It says from Josh Sargent, he says, Kletcher doesn't seem to have that killer goal score mentality. He often watches plays rather than supporting them. Or take the shot when he has it. Does, in your opinion, does Gray replace him fully when he comes back, or do we look for a replacement, or do we stick with Kalecci? Well, I th- I, th- I quite like um, Madison more in a central role anyway. So when Gray comes back, I think he'll go back to the system that he um, started with with Gray and Ricardo at the moment on the two flanks. And uh, I think I think Madison's just got a bit a bit more license. Uh, in a central position, when they're trying to play him on the left, he doesn't play on the left. He, no, just, he, he just wanders around as he wants to, and as long as he's affecting the game and causing problems, that's fine. But then, when you you know, if that if he's coming into Nacho's space, if Nacho's been told he's playing behind mm. Vardy, then that can cause problems. Because not only when you go into the space are you filling that space, you're bringing the webs marking you with you as well, so it gets even more cluttered around there. So he needs to sort out a bit of structure there and in, in how they're going to play. If it's Madison in a central area behind Jamie Vardy, then he needs a couple of wide players. Okay. Because I, I find this quite interesting, actually, because I, we were saying this when we were sat watching the game. With this system, with Madison out left, or supposedly out left, and Ian Acho there, and Amati at right back, we were watching it looking and saying, it looks like three at the back. It looks like they're playing three at the back. And I had a look at this afterwards and looked at the average position maps that you can get, that you can find on the internet. And... Even though they have to start four two three one, they basically do play a three at the back, mainly because Amati is quite is more defensive, so stays in his position. Madison is met is out left, but he he doesn't start. I mean, people were talking about, well, why is Madison on the left? He's not on the left. He starts there, but he his average position is almost as central as Vardy, which means there's so much space there for Chilwell to attack that Chilwell is as far forward as Pereira on the other wing. And then Madison is behind Vardy, and Ian Atchie's average position is basically on the other side, alongside Vardy. So they're pretty much playing three-five-two, because of how far forward Chilwell gets, and because Madison, when he is on the left, just drifts into a central position. So they basically do play three-five-two. I'm not too fussed by Madison playing there because he does drift inside, and he plays there in the hole anyway. And it was only a few a few games ago where Puel was being praised for playing Ian Acho with... I remember Jermaine Genius on match of the day being like, ooh, he's tinkered a lot, but he's now found a really good formation where Madison 
and Ian Acho and Vardy can play. Vardy can get more support from Ian Acho and Madison's just drifting around. He just anyway. needs a bit of structure with it, I think. He yeah. just needs to add a little bit of structure so that, that all three of them know what their role is in that. Because Vardy was, everyone was saying Vardy's so isolated. Well, Pope put another striker to give him some support, which pushed Madison slightly wider, and that really that worked. And Pope's getting praised for that. Now it's not worked. He's now getting criticised for not playing Madison in his normal position. But I think you're right with with maybe with the structure they need to give it because with Ma- with Madison cutting in and Chilwell so far forward, Leicester do get quite. It, they tilt a little bit because there's so much space there. It looks like a three-five-two that's cocked over. Well, that's it for this uh, edition of Dilly Ding Dilly Dong. Thank you, James, for Thank all you your support much. over the years. Uh, six oh, years he's it. been covering his beloved Leicester City, but he's off now to uh, the Mail on Sunday, so it'll be a, a different body sat next to yeah. me. I don't know who, and we don't know. You'll have to tune in and find out who sat in that seat next time on Dilly Ding Dilly Dong. <laughs>